Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter, ideas shape markets, ideas can change the world. You know, it's really interesting. I uh, have been following many different people over time and, uh, and many of them in different walks of life and different professions. And um, I'm always interested in how their thinking matured based on their experiences. For example, many of you know, I started in journalism. There's a genome there, a way of inquiry uh, from journalism and the liberal arts. That's a different way of thinking than maybe somebody who grew up uh, in, uh, in, uh, in the military or law enforcement. And I love it because these different ways of thinking, if you can bring them together, give you a real appreciation of perspective and uh, inquiry um, that I think makes us better when we're, we realize where other people have come from. And I recently, um, about a year or two ago, I, I got introduced to Lisa Oliveri. Now, Lisa's background's incredible. If you didn't know it, she likes kickboxing. And unfortunately, she couldn't come to the great conversation a long time ago because she got injured. But, but kickboxing, uh, biology, uh, you, you find all this interesting background with Lisa Oliveri, including uh, her current role as Director of Global Safety and Security at the Education Development Center. So I welcome Lisa Oliveri to the great conversation. Thank you so much, Ron. I'm really glad to be with you here today. And, and this variety of backgrounds is pretty cool. I was going, Lisa, do you ever sleep? I mean, she's not only around the world with, as the Director of Global Safety and Security, she's a CSO board chair. She's uh, a chair of an international development sector committee with the Department of State. Uh, what, when do you sleep, Lisa? <laughs> you know, whenever I can, and uh, hopefully every night, <laughs> if, if all is going well. Exactly. So um, uh, I say a lot, you know, you're sitting by the fire with me and we're drinking a little glass of wine or something, something. And, uh, and Lisa, what have you been up to? What's front of mind right now? What have you been up to? You know, I, it's hard to believe that we're more than a year and a half out from the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. And so I think, like many of my colleagues, we've been focused on not only the reopening and resumption of international travel and business things, but it seems like more and more we're, we're hearing about other non-COVID related security incidents and natural disasters and things that are taking up quite a bit of time and attention as well. So on the work front, that's, that's where our attention has been focused most recently. How do you, I'm really interested. I, I've been sensing recently, Lisa, I've been sensing, I'm going to use the word fragility uh, because of socioeconomic, sociopolitical, environmental pandemics, I'm sensing a fragility in our ecosystems, if you will, that I've really never sensed before. And um, how are you aggregate, how are you studying the fragility of these systems and somehow making sense of it so you can advise your company 
uh, on, on how to navigate risk and also opportunity. How are you doing that today? I think that's such a great point. And the first thing that comes to mind is just some of the volunteer work and conversations that I've been having with colleagues who've been watching and looking at specifically the impact of climate change and what that is doing to different businesses, supply chains, et cetera. So James Morris, I have to give him a big shout out. He has been looking at this and talking about this with the security professionals and young professionals for quite some time. And I think more and more, I mean, we're seeing more and more studies, more and more news uh, that it's, it's bringing it to the forefront about truly the, the impact that um, one system is having on the other. And, you know, anything from changing the security situation in a particular location to what resources are available to what insurances are being provided and the impact that certain natural disasters are having in those areas and, and people's ability not to be able to retain coverage anymore. Uh, I think these are all just really, really important questions that um, the security profession is starting to look at differently and talk about more often and just trying to leverage as many networks and people like James who are have, have even deeper roots in responding to this has sort of been my approach because um, there are so many things that we are focused on and working on, but um, this is an area I think that, that we'll see more of in the coming weeks, months, and years ahead. When I first entered uh, the security industry and it came from an IT background where um, where we were concerned with the abilities, that is we were tasked with supporting the critical technology infrastructure of our companies. And so we turned that, those platforms, mission critical, right? And so we had the LEDs, we, we had high availability, the idea of five nines, we had maintainability, the cost of keeping it at five nines, uh, uh, we even back then had cyber defensibility uh, before it became a thing, uh, sustainability, scalability. So we had all these abilities we managed a mission critical system on. And uh, I'm going to go back to fragility for a second. This concept of putting together a program, whether it's for your family or whether it's for your business or your community, this idea of preparing um, uh, allows you to be ready for actually not just the risk, but preparing for the opportunity that may present itself out of the risk too. So I'm thinking more and more about readiness. If, if I can, and people are gonna, in our industry are gonna say this a little strange, I'm gonna call it competitive readiness, personally, professionally, and corporately. If you're ready, if you're mindful of the risk, you'll also be ready for the opportunity that presents itself out of the risk. And that could be, if you can imagine, that could be anything in the ecosystem. Don't you think, Lisa, are you seeing that too? Are you seeing now that professionals like you are really about corporate competitive readiness and preparedness? It's interesting. I think I hear a lot about resilience and maybe readiness might be nestled in there or as part of that discussion about, you know, how are we, how are we looking at 
business continuity? How are we looking at staff resilience and our ability to recover from these types of incidents when they occur? So I think I think your term competitive readiness, it's not it's not one I'm as familiar with, but uh, I'm, I'm stewing on what you're saying here. So <laughs> it's got me thinking. And, and, and again, everyone, you know, I told Lisa, we're, we're sitting down unscripted by my fireplace. And this is what we would do if we were having a glass of wine together. So, so we're, we're throwing out uh, different ideas, but yes, resilience, business continuity, very familiar terms to all of us. Um, but as we think about um, something other than the word normal, do we, you know, because resilience is not necessarily bouncing back to the same state, mm-hmm. right? It's resilience means opportunistically seizing the day uh, where we can based on the conditions. And so that, that's where I'm starting to think, Lisa, with people like you who think creatively about this. I'm starting to think maybe resilience, this idea of back to normal is not the right term anymore. That's a fair question. And I know we've been having just across, I mean, in terms of the humanitarian development sector and in other security industry groups, just thinking through, and I think so many people are discussing what is the new normal or what is the next normal. And I think uncertainty is something that makes people uncomfortable and it's hard to predict, but we've just been trying to do our best without over-promising and without trying to come up with dates that uh, we're not really sure about, arbitrary dates, um, not committing to anything that we can't reasonably follow through with or provide an update. And I think that's just been uh, one, of the, one of the things I've been thinking about most recently about how we've been communicating throughout the pandemic. And as we look forward and we're trying to figure out, you know, what does business travel look like in the coming years? What does right. operating in some of these more remote areas and harder to reach areas look like um, in this new normal? Well, I love, I love uh, what I'm reading into your comment is this uh, strong empathy gene you have um, because people, you know, People do have fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and it doesn't take much to push them over where they're stressed out um, and uh, underperforming because of that or getting sick because of that. So let let me ask you a a question. And I just broke my one rule of thumb by not shutting my cell phone off. So (laughs) Jennifer will edit that out of this. Uh, but let me ask you something. What, what is working for you right now uh, with you and your team? When you say communication, helping people through uncertainty, what is working for you and your company right now? I think communicating consistently and with credibility has helped us quite a bit. Uh, I think we're transparent in sharing what we're not sure about and what's to come. And we always try to leave an avenue for people to share comments or questions, whether that's in a public forum in an all staff or even just on a separate email system that we signed up for so that people could reach out privately. And just being very as honest as possible with where we're at and how we're looking at the situation and just being able to explain to if there are protocols or policies that are to put in place. I think we, I think 
EDC has done a very good job of being consistent with those communications. And I hope that that has made us a reliable and credible source of information and advice. You rely most heavily on the CDC then? We, so it was interesting, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, we were trying to be as inclusive as possible and ensure that we weren't just relying on the CDC, that we were also looking to the WHO um, because we are a global organization and we didn't want to, to only look at one uh, health authority. It, I think in terms of the guidance that we've seen coming out, we have, have moved to more of a in line, alignment with the CDC specifically, but we are still paying attention to the advice that's coming out from the WHO. I think it's just the way some of their advice and guidance is structured that it's made it a bit easier. Some of the resources that the CDC is putting out as well uh, are a bit more um, user-friendly and applicable to putting those into our procedures and protocols and assessments. Yeah. Yeah. Information, information, if it's complex, if it lacks clarity is, is hard to communicate. So I get it. I can see why you would move more and more toward alignment with the CDC. It is August 18th for those of you listening to this in 2021. And right now the CDC is advising the advice you're learning from the CDC. Can you frame it up in a paragraph uh, regarding employees uh, coming back to work, traveling? What What is the advice now? Sure. So I, I think most recently the CDC has provided some COVID-19 related data that talks about, uh, at least within the United States, levels of community transition that we're paying attention to. So they have a system to assess the risk, whether it's a substantial, high, moderate, low risk of community transmission. And then they're also providing data for each U.S. county on different vaccination rates for adults and populations in those particular areas. So that's been really helpful uh, as it relates to our office reopening plans. And if we're going to be having a meeting or an event someplace, uh, just taking into account exactly what kind of state that a county is in, in terms of the spread. Um, on the international travel side of things, we have a slightly different system, but we are paying attention to, um, we look at Worldometer, Johns Hopkins, and we're paying attention to the data that's coming out from those countries or specific areas that we're looking to travel in. Uh, I will share with you at this point that international travel is still on a business critical and on an approved basis. So I don't foresee that changing uh, anytime soon, but we're hopeful you know, maybe sometime in 2022, we can resume more travel. Okay, so here, here's what I heard. If uh, I'm the CEO of a company uh, and taking Lisa's advice, who is sourcing much of the direction from CDC and WHO internationally, um, and, uh, and I'm talking to my management team, I say, uh, right now, um, Lisa's telling us that the scorecard looks something like this. We're going to look at uh, the risk levels in, um, in the communities we're in from a back-to-work standpoint and a travel standpoint. We're going to look at those risk levels, where they're trending. We're going to look at what the community is doing from probably a vaccination rate standpoint, as well as a lockdown 
what kind of procedures they're putting in place for that community before we make a decision to send anybody anywhere on travel uh, or back to work. Is that a correct statement? That's the scorecard? Yes, that is. Those are definitely pieces of this process where we have a whole form that people need to complete. There's a lot of discussion and then there's an approval process before any trips are made. Right, right. But pretty much it's, it's pretty much, and I'm thinking about myself right now, mm-hmm. it's, pretty, it's pretty much because uh, all of us have to deal personal, professional, corporate. So I'm thinking of myself, and if I believe in the scorecard, I've got to think really hard about the urgency of my need to travel, right? Yes. Okay. And so, so even though the uh, John Hawkins says international is business critical, it's, it's kind of that way national too, isn't it? Uh, I, I mean, for me, my personal view is yes, that it, that's how I would treat it. Um, yeah, yeah. I've been, that's, that's what's on my scorecard is how critical is this? Right, right. And this is, this is why I love your thinking and your honesty. Uh, look, look how you led with my discussion about uh, what's, what's working. Well, what's working is one, uh, dealing with people's uncertainty, their fears, and being consistent and transparent, uh, sharing what I call the brutal facts without losing faith and hope in in the future. Um, And I love that about you, Lisa, uh, because it's something I think all of us have uh, have to bring into our personal and professional relationships right now. So I thank you for that. Thank you, that's really kind. And I've looked to many other leaders who, who lead in that direction and in that method, and I try to emulate that a little bit. <laughs> so what can we expect out of Lisa Oliveri in the next 12 months? What, uh, what's new and exciting? What's, what's gonna be happening with you? Oof, that is a great question. <laughs> and I would say, you know, I, I was reflecting that these last 12 months, I think are the first year or so in recent memory that I haven't had some sort of a um, something that I've been studying for or a professional development uh, certification or something that I've been pursuing. So I have been giving it some thought. I'm not really sure exactly what that looks like yet, but I am cognizant that I, you know, I'd always tell people that I think professional development is super important and I want to practice what I preach. So I will be hopefully looking at uh, a future uh, something to study or to learn because I just love that. I'm a, a definite advocate for continual professional development. I will tell you, Ron, I think the CISSP certification has been something I've been thinking about for a while. I've talked with a few people who have actually pursued that. I know you can appreciate that, especially with your IT background and your history. So it's one of those situations where I, I, I don't want to study for it or take that on until I know I can devote the time to it. Uh, but I think hopefully as we come out of uh, where we are now with the pandemic that I might have some time to actually do that and look into it a bit more because I do think it's really important to be uh, to have that literacy and that understanding of those systems. And so it's something I've been thinking about quite a bit. Oh, it's so, so interesting that you bring that up. Um, in uh, the last uh, playlist I published at the beginning of this month, I think it was the, la- the last playlist, I'm starting to lose I'm starting to lose con- uh, history in my brain. You know, I got to go look at it. But but there's been a number of things that are trending, uh, Lisa. That uh, seems to back you up on that. The first one is is 
we're hearing more and more that CEOs are turning to, you'll love this, the CISO for digital transformation. And you can understand why, because because at, at the bottom rung of that digital transformation platform is the idea of security, right? So, so they're turning to the CISO to help lead or be the tip of the spear for that. That's, that's lesson number one. Lesson number two is something I'm hearing more and more. And that is, we're no longer talking about convergence. We are converged. And you know the, the best and brightest now in the security field have at least you know, persistent meetings uh, of the physical and logical security executives talking about common protocols and intersecting priorities uh, between the two. So I, I think not only literacy, but also uh, a new organizational mandate, if you will, to be thinking more holistically. Is that what you're hearing too? I, I think so. Yes. I mean, it, it, it's interesting the way that you put it, that we were already converged because a lot of conversations and things that I see now are still saying, hey, you know, is this is this something that we still need to be thinking about versus we're already here? But I think you bring up a good point. We may be past that point and uh, it's just a matter of the rest of us trying to catch up. But even at my own organization, we have a wonderful uh, cybersecurity professional on the team and she, she and I collaborate often and, and we do have so much overlap and it is so much better when we can collaborate and, and look at problems and situations and opportunities together because we do have, when something goes wrong, we usually are both pulled in um, to address it. So I think if we're more proactive and like you said, if we have a, that competitive edge of being more ready, um, then then I think we can be more resilient in our response. But uh, if if you are reaching across the aisle by not only partnering with her, your counterpart on the uh, logical side, uh, but also wanting to get possible literacy so you even understand her language and her practices even better, what would you advise her to do to do the same for you? Oh, that's a really great question. I would say, you know, I, I think what we've started to do since I joined uh, almost three years ago is that we've had these regular catch-up meetings. And even if something hasn't happened and we don't have to be speaking with one another, we just touch base. We talk about some of the things that we've been dealing with or things that might have a touch point or overlap. And so I've had the opportunity to talk through, I think with her about, you know, what we're seeing, how this, what our response was, et cetera. So I think I think we are sharing information and we're learning from each other without even putting a, a formal stamp on it, if you will. Uh, the best type of learning, right? You don't, right. You know, you know, it, and, and what does that say again about you? It says, it says you're constantly learning. You don't need a mandate from above or uh, across the industry. You're constantly learning. This has been a great conversation with one of the top influencers in our industry, Lisa Oliveri. Lisa, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Ron. It's been a pleasure.